Well, happy Mother's Day again to all you moms. Love you guys so much. Mom, if you're watching this on the podcast, happy Mom's Day. Love you so much. Uh, hey, uh, so we're starting a brand new series today. Do you recognize uh, the music? What TV show is that from? MacGyver. Yeah, MacGyver. Some of you are big fans. Some of you are like, what? You've never heard of that before. Uh, anyway, we're excited to start a brand new series today called The Swiss Army Life. And you know, this series is really all about how to live a useful life, how to be useful, how to make a difference with your life. And you know, as I was putting this series together, I, I began to feel kind of sad and, and a little concerned that, because I'm, I'm not a very useful person. I've thought about this, you know, like when something breaks in my house, like I, I can't fix it. Just the way it goes. I have to call somebody up. Hey, come on over, you know. Uh, I'll give you an example of what I mean. Like, for me, changing the furnace filter is like a big deal. <laughs> Get very excited about that. Um, in, in fact, uh, the other day, I did something extraordinary. Uh, the, the pilot light went out in our furnace. So I went down there, you know, I'm like, should I call Phil? Phil's my neighbor. He knows everything. But because I, was, I had a moment of pride, I said, no, I can do it. So I get down there by the furnace, and I start to see pictures. I start to see pictures of, of flames. You know how they draw them out for you? If people, somebody's hand getting burned and the skin is falling out? Well, it's not that bad, but you get, you get, you get it a little bit. And I'm like, oh, man, I can't screw this up. I'm going to blow my house up, you know? So I start to read every detail on the furnace and how to get the pilot light started back on. And, and so I, I, you know, I actually pulled it off. I couldn't believe it. I got back up and I was like, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Hey, pat me on the back for that because I need a lot of help. Because, again, I'm not very useful. There's not a lot of things I can do. So getting that pilot light back on is a, is a, is a real victory for me. I guess it's a confidence booster. Now, some of you have no respect for me at this point. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Because it's not always about respect, is it? There's a lot of other things in life than just having people's respect. Uh, but so, so I, I'll give you another example. I was at a pastor's retreat, retreat this last week, and about 15 pastors or so. And some of these guys, man, they're just like real burly men. they got these big, giant, manly beards, you know. And, and I'm just sitting there listening to a couple of these guys. One guy's from North Carolina. He was a deep-sea diver. No kidding. Like, you just go down 150 feet under the water. Just go down there and, and catch things and fish and crazy stuff. And I'm just listening to some of his stories. I'm like, that's incredible. I, I would never do that. You know, it's like, that's so like, wow, you could do that? He's like, spends like two days on the, on the water every week, you know. And this other guy was from Alaska. Kid you not. He had the beard to show it. I mean, it was just, he just looked like, he just looked like a bear, you know. And so, and so he starts talking about he, how he hunts moose. Are you kidding me? You shoot these animals. Yeah, he, he shoots them, and, and then he kills them, and he cuts them up, and he skins them, and does all, and the women join in, too. It's like, you're kidding me. It's like, oh, yeah. He called the women, the Alaskan women, he, he called them, I think he called them stout. They're very stout. Stout women. I thought that's a term I've never heard used of, of a woman before. I don't even think I'm stout. I mean, these, these women, you know what I mean? It's like, wow. I just, I, I, and then he told me that they actually go on these black bear hunts. It's like, you chase bears? Like, are you serious? Usually normal people, they run from bears, you know what I mean? Like, no, but this guy, he's go out and he shoots them, you know, you know it's, it's incredible. You know, and I just left there thinking, I, I got some work to do. I mean, I'm like half the men that these men are, you know. So I'm not, I, this series is really for me to become more useful in my life, you know. I often think to myself, if the world, if the world was coming to an end and we had to actually, like, kill our food, you know, that, that sort of thing. Like, our family dies first. Like, the Andersons, we're done. <laughs> 
okay? Like if we, if I can't buy it at the grocery store, we all die, you know? So, so anyway, I just, I want to be more useful with my life. And, and so kind of, that's kind of what this series is all about. How do we live useful lives? You know, it was Albert Einstein who said this. I love this quote. He said, you know, try not to become a man of success, but try rather to become a person of value, a man of value. Isn't that interesting? We get so focused sometimes. I want to be successful. I want to be successful. Whatever that means in America, you know, wealth or whatever, power, whatever. Instead of trying to become a success, try to, try to add value. And Ben Franklin said it this way, and he, he lived this out. He said, I'd rather have it said that he died usefully than he died rich. Oh, did he ever live this out? Man, he, you know, he's the guy that invented the lightning rod and all this stuff. And he invented the, the, sto- the Franklin stove, incredible invention. You know that he also invented swim flippers? Did you know that? He was an avid swimmer, Ben Franklin. He wanted to figure out how to swim faster, so he, he actually invented flipper, swim flippers. Did you know that? It's incredible. You know, he, something else he invented was bifocals, and, you know, he had this idea. I think he was the first one to have the idea for the post office and paved roads and all these other different things. Did you know that he didn't patent any of his inventions? Not one time did he say, oh, I'm going I'm to patent that because I want to I leverage that to make money. He lived this statement out. He gave away all of his inventions to the public because he would rather die, ha- die having people say, man, that guy was useful. And here we, today, we, here I am saying, man, he died useful instead of dying rich. You know, I believe with all my heart that God's created you and I to be useful. So we've called this series the Swiss Army Life. Have you ever seen one of these Swiss Army knives? It's incredible. I mean, some of you are very concerned right now because I have a sharp object in my hand. And the last time this happened, I actually cut myself with the tennis ball can, okay? So, so that was pretty pathetic. Remember, I'm not very useful? Okay, so, so I'm going to be careful with this. But this Swiss Army knife, this is fascinating. We do have a first aid kit down here in the front row. My staff put it here. Seriously, there's one right down front here, just in case I do cut myself. But these things are fascinating. You know, there's two blades on them right here, and there's a little scissors right here, which is good for nose hairs and other sorts of things. <laughs> There's, I'm not sure what this guy is right here, still trying to figure that one out, but this is a saw, like literally a saw. This one is a screwdriver, it's a flathead screwdriver, pretty cool. Corkscrew for glass and wine, whatever. This one I don't know, it's like a dagger. This one I think you just puncture holes into things or something. I heard last, I heard this one right here is for you to, to get out of a car, to break the glass, and then hook it into the glass if you like happen to drive yourself into a pond or something, that's fascinating right there. And so, then of course you have to have this right here, which is a tweezers. How about that? Right there. That's, real, that's nifty. See if I can get that back in there without cutting myself. Okay. What about this one right here? This is awesome. Check this out. Toothpick. <laughs> Boop. I mean, yo, you know what I'm saying? Just right in there. Just get in there right after a meal. I mean, some of the newer versions of these things, quite fascinating. They have LED lights on them. Some of them have digital clocks. I mean, they have USB ports in some of them right now. I mean, they're, they're really, they, like, some people, like, go way overboard with these knives. Did you know that these were created in the 1800s, and they were actually given to the soldiers in the Swiss Army? They really were. And did you know today, 20 nations actually give out a version of this to their military officers? 20 different countries. Now, I know some of you are freaking out because I'm moving it really quick like this. and like, okay, I'm going to put it down so that I don't cut myself. But we, we named this series The Swiss Army Life because what we really feel like is that, that God has created us to be useful. In your notes here, that, he, that this is the, the, first, the first slide, this, that God has created you and I to be useful. That's what he's created us to be. Like he's given us passions and desires and he's given us a heart. He's given us this sense of right and wrong and he's given us energy. 
Did you know that, that God, that you woke up today because you're not tired anymore and that you have energy, most of us do anyway, so that you can actually do some stuff? Did you, isn't that fascinating that you have energy? What do you have energy for? You have energy so you can go out and do something with your life. And then when your energy runs down, God has given us this incredible thing called sleep. Anybody like to sleep? Oh, yeah. So we're like, ooh, sleep, yes. And so what is sleep designed to do? It's designed to replenish our energy, and then we wake back up, and our brain is refreshed, and we go back out, and we do some more stuff, and God's created us to make a difference. I was reading about a lady named Candy Leitner. Candy Leitner was her name, and back in 1980, her daughter was 12 years old. She played softball. And uh, she had a twin sister, and, and, and uh, this, this little girl, Candy's daughter, went to the, chur- went to the church uh, because there was a carnival at the church uh, after the softball game. She's walking on the road, riding the bicycle lane, and a, a repeat offender drunk driver ran over her daughter, hit her, struck her. She flew 125 feet, and she killed little, little uh, Carrie was her name. Of course, the whole community was devastated. Of course, you know, <laughs> brokenhearted, just dev- total, just total devastation, right? Two days later, I'll make a long story short, uh, Candace was uh, driving by the scene of the accident, and she still noticed that police were out there. It was still kind of, you know, the tape, was, they're still making measurements and all this different stuff. And so she pulls over, and she gets out of the car. Now, the police don't know that, that this is the mom, Okay. So she just gets out and starts asking questions. You know, what happened? Well, a little girl got hit by a drunk driver. Oh, you know, and she starts asking some more questions. Then she asks this question. Well, what, how long will this man go to jail? How long will he spend in prison for running this little girl over? And both police officers who were there, they turned to her and, and she said, well, he's not going to go to prison, let alone any jail time. That's not how the system works. And that day, Candace Leitner founded Mothers Against Drunk Drivers that day because everything inside of her said that's not right you cannot run over my little girl and take her life and just go back on your merry life today 35 years later Mothers Against Drunk Drivers is is uh, one of the largest most notable supported nonprofit organizations in the nation And it was started by a mom who had two daughters that played softball, just like you, just like me. It was Christina Todd Whitman who said this, anyone who thinks that they're too small to make a difference has never tried to fall asleep with a mosquito in the room. (laughs) I thought, man, that's so true. Like, 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 people think that, oh, I can't do anything. I can't make a difference with my life. Look at, look at Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. That's changed. There's, there's, there's groups of them in every state in America. They've changed the laws in America concerning drunk drivers. I mean, they've reduced the amount of fatalities in our country. I don't even know the numbers on it, but it's a huge amount of numbers. They're at the White House. They're, 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 they're changing things. How? Because, because one mom decided to act on what she felt like what was an injustice. And in fact, it was some of you might be thinking right now, man, I can't, I can't start a nonprofit organization that changes the laws in this nation or, or invent a, something like the lightning rod or, 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 or stove like Franklin, you know, Benjamin Franklin. And man, I, I'm with you because, again, I feel like I'm not very useful and there's not much I can do. <laughs> so, 
but, but here's the truth. The truth is that I, do, I am alive, and I do have a brain, and I do have thoughts, and I do have concerns, and I do have emotions, and I do have some energy. So there is something that I can do with my life. And, it is, and that same thing is true for you. I want to talk to you today about something that every single one of us can get involved in. Because here, here's my heart behind this series. I don't want you and I to be 80 years old one day, 85 years old one day, sitting down in our kitchen, hardly able to do much of anything at all, with a bunch of regrets. I don't want that. Oh, man, I could have. Oh, I should have taken more risks. I could, man, when I was 40, I could have done this. When I was at 50, I should have done it. I should have tried. I should have went for it, and I didn't. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want you to be that person. God has given us so much time, so much energy, and so much space to make a difference, and I don't want to live a life of regret, and I don't want you to live that life either. So I'm going to give you something today that every one of us can do. If you can talk, you can do this one. I believe with all my heart in your notes that the, the, the Swiss Army life is a life of prayer. See, prayer is talking to God. If you can talk, you can pray. Now, it's Mother's Day, so I think it's appropriate to talk, for me to talk about my mom a little bit. And I'll talk about myself in connection to that. When I was about 17 years old, 15, 16, 17 years old, I was headed in a direction away from God. I grew up in New York City, Staten Island, New York. It's not necessarily a place where Jesus is lifted up. <laughs> it's not exactly a place where there's a lot of role models to say, hey, here's how you live a Christian life. In fact, I don't remember one Christian from my high school. Not a one. Very large high school, don't remember one teenager who said, hey, I'm a Christ follower. My father was agnostic slash atheist, and so there was no male influence in my life to say, hey, here's how you are to live your life for God. The only influence I had in my life, spiritually speaking, was my mom. And so here I am, 15, 16, 17 years old. At the age of 17, my life, again, was 100 miles an hour away from God. And all of a sudden, some things started to change in my heart. And I began to become interested in spiritual things. And it wasn't because I had a buddy, and it wasn't peer pressure. And it wasn't because I had two older brothers following Jesus. It wasn't any of that. It wasn't because there was a really cool kid at the high school that, that was saying, hey, I'm a Jesus follower, be like me. No, no, no. Something was happening inside of my heart. And I thought, man, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in what else is out there besides what I'm doing with my life. And so I started to turn. I started, I started to go to church. I started to listen. I started to pay attention. And eventually I gave my life to Christ. Fast forward, I don't know, 20 years or whatever it is, whatever it's been since that time. And here I am, the pastor of a church. The only explanation for that 180 is my mother's prayers. That's it. I got no other. There's no other reason that my life changed, and none of my buddies changed, none of my friends changed. They're still all living their lives. There's no explanation, even in my own heart as I sit back. How did that happen? Like, like, what, what, like every boy wants to be like his dad, and here I am going down the path of my mother? Really? Right? My life changed because every night before bed, my mom would get down on her knees. And she would pray. She'd pray over me and she'd pray over my brother. Sometimes it would be two minutes, sometimes it would be five. Pray for my dad. She would pray and pray and pray. And as I got, got older, she'd pray more more fervently, that I'd give my life to Christ. And so I did. And here I stand before you today, 
So when I say that the Swiss Army life is a life of prayer, man, I mean it. Listen to what the Bible says in James 5.16. The prayer of a righteous person, one who's walking with God, not perfect, they're just walking with God, is powerful and what? Effective. And isn't that what we're talking about? How do I live an effective life? How do I live a useful life? Well, I, 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 if I can talk, then I can pray. If you can talk, you can pray. And if you can pray, you can make a difference in people's lives. Uh, Andrew Murray was a, 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 a guy that lived a long time ago, and he wrote a book called With Christ in the School of Prayer. This statement he made in the first chapter shaped my understanding, continues to shape my understanding of prayer. Listen to this. He talks about how prayer is something children can do. And it is. You get your kids praying, man, they'll pray. My kids pray, right? But it's also at the same time the highest and holiest work which man can rise to. He says, it's fellowship with the unseen and most holy one. The powers of the eternal world have been placed at its disposal. Whoa. Like the, God's power has been placed. Like I can tap into God's power. You can tap into God's power through this mechanism called prayer. He continues, watch this. Prayer is the channel of all blessings, the secret of power and life. It is to prayer that God has given the right to take hold of him and his strength. Wow, what is really going on with this thing called prayer? Murray is basically saying, if you want to tap into God, if you want God to move on your behalf, if you want to tap into divine power, then you need to engage in this thing called prayer, talking to God. I love when you open the Bible and you see illustrations of this. You see people praying, and then you see God working in powerful ways. I'll just give you one. In Acts chapter 12, if you've read the New Testament, you, you, you might remember this. In Acts chapter 12, Peter, one of the top dogs in the church, Peter, James, and John were the closest three to Jesus. They were on the Mount of Transfiguration with him. They saw Jesus light up, right? They heard the Father talking to Jesus on the Mount, right? You with me? Yeah? All right. Some of you need to read your Bible. It's good stuff. (laughs) So, So Peter gets arrested because what happened was Herod had James, one of the top three guys, Peter, James, and John. James was killed by the sword, okay? Herod killed James, and the Jews were like, yeah. So Herod saw this, and he wanted to please the Jews, and he wanted to gain their favor, so he, he has plans to do the same thing with Peter. So he arrests Peter. But there was a holiday going on. There was a festival going on. And it's not right to put people to death during the festival, the Jewish festival. So they, they put a hold on it. They put a seven-day hold on, on, the, on the trial and assassination or, or murder of Peter. So look what happens in verse 5. While Peter is arrested, check this out. But while Peter was in prison, the church, what did they do? They prayed. How did they pray? Very earnestly, with passion, with focus. They prayed for an entire week. They had a massive seven-day prayer meeting. They prayed what? That Peter would not be executed like James was executed. And so on the seventh day, when Herod was about to take Peter out of jail and and prosecute him and, and try to kill him, all of a sudden, God sends this angel into the prison. Now, Peter was, guard, Peter was guarded by 16 guards. So this angel shows up, and Peter is asleep. In the middle of the night, he nudges Peter. He says, get up, put your clothes on, follow me. The chains fall off Peter's wrist. They leave the prison. The gates open up, miraculously open up. Peter walks out. He thinks the whole thing is a dream. He's sleepwalking, right? He walks out. Then all of a sudden, the angel disappears. He's outside of the prison, And he realizes that the whole thing is real and it's not a dream. Listen to verse 12. When he realized this, when he realized what? That it wasn't a dream. He went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for what? Prayer. 
prayer. The prayer of a righteous person, the prayer of righteous people gathered together is powerful and effective. It works. He was set free. He was not killed. Now, some of you might be thinking, if you're a little bit cynical like me, or if you're a critic of Christianity, you might be thinking, yeah, but come on. I've prayed before nothing happened. Right? I mean, what about, what about uh, James? So I bet somebody prayed for James, and, and he got this. <laughs> right? I understand. I understand. We pray sometimes, and guess what? The answer is what? Have you ever said no to your children? 90% of the time, if you're a good parent. <laughs> Come on, right? We say no every day. No, 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 no. All the time, right? Because we know better. We know that things lead to cavities, which are expensive. Can I have that candy? Can I have that? No, 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 no. All day long, we say no. Occasionally, we say yes. Why would it be any different with Heavenly Father and us? Doesn't he know something we don't know? If he's God, right? And, and we're making these requests sometimes and, and, and the answer comes back no. Isn't it because he must know something that would be better for us? I would say absolutely yes. But that doesn't mean we stop asking, does it? In fact, Jesus said, ask and you receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open unto you. And so he, all I want to point out today is that prayer is powerful and effective. Hopefully you're at that point where you're like, okay, I get that. It's in the Bible. I see it. But what do I pray for? Like, what do I actually pray for? I'm going to give you four things so that you can go out of here and live a Swiss Army life and be effective. Number one, what do you pray for? You pray for the people in your life. Listen, people have needs, man. People are hurting. People are discouraged. They're down. Their marriages, some of their marriages are on the rocks They've got family who have cancer or some other sickness. People need God's help. Listen to what Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I love this. He's telling his young protege, Timothy, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all who? All people. Pray for the people in your life. What do you pray for? Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. It's just so simple. What do you pray for? You pray for the people in your life who need assistance. They need God's comfort. They need, they need to know that God is there wrapping his arms around them. They need to be reminded of his, of his goodness and his faithfulness and his presence in their life. They need to be encouraged. Do you know anybody like this? Do you know anybody who's just recently lost a loved one? They need your prayers every single day. You want to live a useful life? Live a life of prayer for other people. Intercede for other people. People and you'll live a Swiss Army life. Number two, pray for your elected leaders. Pray for your elected leaders. Those, of, those of who are in government positions above us. Listen to the next verse. Paul says, pray for all the people in your life. Ask God to help them, right? All this stuff. Watch verse two. Pray this way, in the same way, for all the kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. We make the mistake oftentimes of praying for the politicians that we want to be in office. <laughs> and then that's as far as our prayers go, isn't it? Then we stop praying at all, sometimes. Paul says, I want you to pray for those who are already in positions of authority. Your mayor, your governor, your state representatives, your president, your, all these different people. Can you imagine if all of us prayed that God would give our government leaders wisdom and integrity and the courage, the ability to make decisions, regardless of who's throwing money at them and trying to buy their votes and all these different... Can you imagine what would happen? Paul seems to think it would be effective. 
Paul seems to think that prayer for elected leaders would be useful. Listen to what he says. He says, pray this way for them so that you and I will live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Wow. How does that work? Well, if I'm praying for my elected leaders and we're all praying for our elected leaders and they're making great decisions and they're men and women of integrity and they're trying to please God with every single law and decision that they're putting into place, that's going to trickle down to you and I and that's going to, the end result is going to be a great life for us. Could it be that perhaps the country is struggling today because Christ's followers are not praying for their elected officials, for wisdom, for integrity, for courage? I'll be the first one to admit my governor and my mayor and my president is not on my prayer list. I struggle because life's busy and there's so many other things going on and go, 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 go and do, 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 do. I can't say, I, I can't honestly stand up here and say, man, I pray for my president every day. And Governor Pence and Mayor Myers and all these different people. I can't say that, right? But I need to. We need to. Why? Because Paul says, you want to live an effective life? Pray for your elected leaders. You need to do better at that. Let me give you the third one. Pray for your spiritual leaders. Pray for your spiritual leaders. I'm talking about whoever is in your life that you view as a spiritual leader in your life. Could be a pastor, could be me, could be your small group leader, could be someone here on staff, could be someone else in your life that you look to that's mentoring you spiritually. Pray for them. Listen to what Paul said, who I think is the greatest spiritual leader of all time besides Jesus himself. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 6. Pray also for me. Paul is saying, hey, I need you to pray for me. Now, Paul's a guy that I would think he doesn't need pray for. Like, he, he, he saw Jesus, on, like, with his own eyes. Like, Jesus had this personal interaction with Paul on the road to Damascus. Then at one point, Paul was taken up to what, they call, what he called the third heaven, and he saw what heaven was like. I'm like, you need prayer, dude? Like, you're the man. You shouldn't need prayer. Like, you, like, you talk to Jesus, Right? But he said, no, pray for me. Pray, why? What does he need? That whenever I speak, words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Apparently, Paul was struggling with fear. Perhaps because the last time he preached, they beat him up and they, and they threw rocks at him. Or they locked him up in jail, which all those things happened to Paul because of his preaching, right? So you say, man, I'm struggling with courage. I don't have the courage sometimes to speak fearlessly about the gospel in a way that I should. You know that spiritual leaders are on the front lines when it comes to spiritual warfare. Paul would later say that, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers and, of darkness, against Satan's armies himself. That's what's going on in a pastor's life or anybody who's trying to lead anything in a spiritual way. And so what do they need? They need the prayers of their people to stand firm, to be men and women of integrity, to stay in the word, to be led by the spirit. I need your prayers. The staff here, your small group leaders here, they need your prayers. There's a group of people that gather on Fridays here at the church to pray for me. And I feel it. I feel that, that God is answering their prayers in my life, guiding my preaching, guiding my life, my marriage, my parenting, all these different things, my leadership here at the church. I feel the impact of their prayers. I covet your prayers, and so do all the other spiritual leaders here at the church. Pray for your elected leaders. Pray for your spiritual leaders. Let me give you the last one. Pray for whatever is on your heart. Pray for whatever is on your heart. You have concerns on your heart, don't you? 
things that you're worried about, things that bother you, things that shouldn't be that way, that things that someone, that something that someone said to you that hurt your feelings. Maybe you've been overlooked at work. Maybe there's a relationship you're concerned about. It's not working out. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe, maybe someone's got cancer. I know if you're human, you've got stuff going on, don't you? You do. And so option A is to basically kind of take that upon yourself and kind of try to deal with it on your own. Anybody there? <laughs> We're human, right? So we try to just, well, I'll deal with it. I'll handle it. I'll handle it. I'll figure it out, right? Well, what, what, what happens when we do that is we get overwhelmed with fear and worry, sometimes anger, anxiety. And when we have those types of negative emotions going on inside of us, it often leads to negative actions, we think, we feel, and we act, right? And so then we start to try to cover up the worry or anxiety. We, tr- we get into like escapist behaviors like alcohol or drugs to kind of dull the pain. And, and our life gets totally off the rails. Why? Because we have decided to take the burden upon ourselves. That's option A. It's very destructive. What's the other option? Well, the other option is to take that concern, whatever happened, take it to God in prayer. Listen to what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4. Don't worry, which is option A, don't worry about anything. Instead, here's what I want you to do. Pray about, say it with me, everything. If something is on your heart, take it to God and pray about it. Tell God what you need. Tell him what's going on. Here's the situation. Here's what happened. And I want you to to know about it. And I'm actually going to give it over to you. We'll get more, more to that in just a second. And then thank him for all that he's done. That's option B. I can take it upon my own shoulders and try to weather it myself, or I can give it over to God. I love the way Peter explains what Paul said, actually, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. This is the Peter that was locked up in prison by Herod. Same guy. Watch this. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I love this term. Paul, uh, Peter is explaining what Paul is saying here. The word cast is a, is a term that refers to cargo on a ship. And so Peter is basically saying, you need to take the cargo that's on your ship and throw it off your ship. No longer on your ship. That's what this word cast means. In other words, I want you to take your concerns, your anxieties, the things that you're worried about, the things that you're fearful about, the things you're angry about, and I want you to take them and I want you to cast them upon who? upon God. Why? Because he cares for you. See, the basis for my casting or the foundation of my ability to cast my cares upon God is the reality that he loves me and his heart is good. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that he loves you and that he's good? If you don't, you're not going to be throwing anything on him, okay? You're not going to be casting your burdens on him. You're going to be taking them upon yourself, right? But if you know in your heart that he loves you and he cares for you and he's a good God and he's strong and he can handle it, you're going to say, hey, take this one and, and take this one too and here's another one and hey, and hey, by the way, if you've got more room and you're going to start throwing this stuff off on him, concerns about relationships, money, concerns about health, concerns about your future, your retirement, whatever it is on your heart, Right? Chucking it all upon him. Now, I'm not, that's not abdicating responsibility. You still have to deal with it. But you deal with it in an entirely different way, don't you? You still deal with life. You still have that sick child. You still have that money issue. It's still there. You haven't thrown the issue away. You've just given it over to him. And because he's good and because he loves you, he is going to work it out. Now watch what happens when you do that. Verse 7 of chapter 4. 
Then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When I throw that concern upon God, the peace of God floods my heart and it guards my heart against what? Fear, anger, anxiety, worry, all of those negative emotions that plague my heart and weigh down my ship. No, 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 no. The peace of God fills my heart and it guards against those things because I have cast my burden and care upon the Lord. Now you might ask, now, but how does that make us useful? Isn't that what we're talking about? Live the Swiss Army knife life right here? If I pray about whatever's on my heart, how does that actually make me a useful person? Such a good question. So glad you asked. <laughs> Here's how it works. Ready? Again, if we go back to the ship cargo issue uh, metaphor, if I'm casting burdens upon the Lord, what's happening to my ship? What's happening to it? Come on, this is, you got to get this. Like, if you don't get this, this is this whole, the whole thing, you know, it might be worthless to you, okay? This is it right here. My ship gets lighter, right? In other words, my life gets easier. I can handle it. Why? Because I've already given that over to the Lord. Like he, like, he knows about it. I told him about it. He's going to work it out. I don't have to worry about it anymore. My ship gets lighter. But what else happens? I'm throwing cargo off. What else is happening? What am I doing? I'm creating space. See that? I'm creating what's called emotional space. I've got room here for your problems and your problems your problems and your problems and your now I don't have room for everybody's problems. Then the ship goes down. Right? My wife, my kids, a couple people in my life, concerns, sickness, death, cancer, divorce, adultery, whatever. I've got some room in my life because I have made room by getting some of the stuff I'm worried about in my own life off the ship onto his shoulders. I've created space and now I'm lighter. I say, hey, now how can I help you? Now, there have been times in my life where I haven't done that. <laughs> Far too often. In other words, I've been concerned about my own stuff, and my ship has gotten heavy, and then someone says, hey, Danny, can you help? And I say, shh. If you bring your stuff onto my ship, the ship's going down. Stay away from me. You got all kinds of jacked up problems, and I can't help you right now. Now, is that a good spot for a pastor to be? Come on. Is that a healthy place for your pastor to be? Well, that's, sometimes that's where I am because I have not taken my cares, my concerns, the things that are going on in my life, and cast them upon the Lord. So I'm, what am I worried about? My ship is way down. It's heavy. It's full. I don't have room to help anybody else, and I am useless. Do you see the connection? Did you get it? You have to pray about everything because if you don't, you will be useless to other people. Be it your children, be it your neighbors, be it your friends. You won't have any space on your ship. And in fact, when they try to load their stuff on you, their problems, you're going to reject them and say, no, don't bring those problems over here because my ship's about to go down. <laughs> and you can't help anybody. See, if you want to be useful, you have to pray about the stuff in your life so that you can create some space and your ship gets lighter and you can help other people. I love that. I hope, I hope. If that's all you got today, man, I think it'll really change your life. What have I said today? Man, I've said, hey, God wants you to be useful. He's given you time. He's given you energy. He's given you a mind. He's given you emotions, this ability to discern right and wrong. 
He wants you to be useful. How can we do that? We can pray. If you can talk, you can pray. I want to close today by, by talking to you about uh, a story from a mom, because today is Mother's Day. Great little story from a book called Confessions of a Prayer Slacker, written by Diane Moody. Love that title, because oftentimes I just feel like a complete slacker when it comes to prayer. How about you? She talks about a, a time in her life when she, was, she just graduated college, and she grew up in a Christian home, but she drifted away from God. At that particular time in her life, she met a man named Danny, and she fell in love. And Danny was, uh, she says, he was the most romantic man I've ever met, which probably has something to do with his name, I would imagine. <laughs> so they set the date. They're getting married. She's got a really close relationship with her mom, she writes in the book. They talk about twice a week on the phone. And um, all of a sudden, one day, two months before the wedding, she gets this really thick letter which she thought was odd because, again, she talks to her mom twice a week. So she opens up the letter, and I want to read what she says uh, about the actual letter. She says, as, as I began to read mom's letter, something happened to me. It had, it's hard to put into words, but it was almost as if a window had opened, allowing a breeze of fresh air to wash over me. The blinders came off as the truth of my mother, mother's letter penetrated my heart. See, Danny was an alcoholic. Danny was a womanizer. Danny was not a believer in Christ. And so her mom took this huge risk of writing this long letter about this decision she was about to make. And God used it to open her heart. She called her mom in tears. That day, her dad put her mom on a plane, flew her mom to her house. Together, they mourned. They called Danny on the phone and called off the wedding. That was when she just graduated high school. She went on to marry a pastor and have this fruitful ministry. Now she writes Christian books. Later on, she was talking to her dad about the letter, and her dad said, do you realize how fervently your mother prayed over that letter? That God would use that letter to open your eyes to see the huge mistake you were about to make. And it was, she realized it was her mother's prayers that she felt that day when she read that letter. Listen to what she says at the end of the story. So you see, I'm more than just a little passionate about the power of prayer. I'm living proof of it. My marriage is living proof of it. My children are living proof of it. The Bible is not kidding when it says the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. Moms, I want you to hear this message today. If you want to live a useful life, pray fervently and earnestly for your children. I would not be standing here today if it were not for the prayers, the fervent prayers of my mother. Isn't that incredible? I think that's fascinating how God uses our prayers to make a difference in the world. Now, the next few moments, I'm going to share some words that have been prayed over. I've prayed over them. Hopefully I say them correctly. The person who invited you here today, if you're a guest, has prayed over them. And here's what they've prayed, that God would use this next two minutes to communicate something to you that would change your life. And that is the message of the gospel. And so here's the, I'm going to say these words, and know, just know in your heart 
that these words have been prayed for, that you would hear them and embrace these words. Here we go. God loves you and wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants to know you. He's not interested in you joining a religion. He's not interested in you, in you getting baptized or joining a church. That may come someday. He's interested in knowing you in a personal relationship. However, that relationship is not possible. In fact, it's impossible because of something called sin. It's something you and I have done from birth. We have broken God's laws. We naturally walk away from him. And because of sin, we cannot be in a relationship with God. But God, in his love, and because of his love, did the impossible. He sent Jesus Christ to this earth to die on a cross so that your sin and my sin and the sin of the entire world can be washed away. So that the, the thing that was causing a gap, the sin that was causing a division between you and God could be taken away. And if you put faith in Christ and you say to Jesus, okay, I believe you died on the cross for me, I believe you were buried, I believe you rose again, you can be forgiven of your sin and reconciled with God and have a relationship with him. Now those words are the words of the gospel, the greatest news in all the world. And for some of you right now, this is the moment where you place your faith in Christ and you receive eternal life. If you would like to do that right now, if you feel God tugging on your heart, like, man, that's for you, those last two minutes were for you, I want to, I want to invite you to pray to receive Christ today by putting your faith in him. It's very simple. You just talk to God. You say, dear Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I want to be your child. I believe you died on the cross for me and rose again to wash away my sin. I'm going to pray that prayer. If you'd like to pray to receive Christ right now, I'd ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. In this very holy moment between you and God, just reach out to him in faith and say this. Dear Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you paid the penalty for my sin. I trust you right now. I put my faith in you that your sacrifice on the cross was enough to wash away all my sin. Today, make me your child by faith. I trust you. I put my confidence in you. And help me from this day forward with your grace, to honor you with my life. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you just prayed to receive Christ just now, you prayed a very similar prayer that I prayed when I was 17, and I had someone tell me soon after I did that to begin reading the scriptures. And so I did that, and what I noticed is that I began to understand who God was and what he was like and what his plan was for my life. So I want to give you that same advice. In fact, we want to give you a gift. We want to give you a one-year New Testament. So if you prayed to receive Christ today, there's tables back here to my left. Up if you're in the balcony down below here, and if you're over here to my right, there's a table over here. If you're in the balcony, you can come down. And just tell those folks that, hey, I just put my faith in Christ. I'd like to have one of those one-year Bibles, and they'll put one of these in your hand. Can we give God glory for what he's done today? Love it. As you leave today, here's what I want you to understand. You don't have to invent a stove or a lightning rod, or you don't have to create a nonprofit that changes the laws in this land, okay? 
But you can make a difference. You can live a Swiss Army life. You can be useful if you talk to God. The prayers of a righteous person, a person walking with God, are something to be reckoned with. They're powerful and effective. So here's something you could do today. You can leave right now, and you can begin praying for people in your life, praying for your elected leaders, praying for your spiritual leaders, and praying for whatever it is that's on your heart, and you can live a useful life. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear, precious, heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about prayer, to talk about how to live a useful life, to make the most of our time here on earth. Give us the courage to begin praying, praying fervently, praying earnestly for the things going on in our life. And I pray that you would give us the answers that we ask for, if it's according to your will. Give those who pray to receive Christ's day the courage to go grab a Bible and begin reading it. We love you so much. God bless. Amen. God bless you. Hey, next week, week number two of the Swiss Army Life. Invite a friend. We'll see you.